A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Dobrý večer and welcome to the Bohemian podcast with Pete Coleman and Travis Dole. Dobrý večer from Prague and welcome to tonight's episode of the Bohemian podcast. I'm your host Pete Coleman and I'm Travis Dole from the History of Alchemy podcast. When a nation is under rule from a puppet government or completely controlled by a foreign entity, dissension can spread like wildfire. The onus is on the governing authorities to quell such uprisings while in its beginning stages. When the Iron Curtain fell over Central Europe, such uprisings were forming, and that is where we start our program tonight. It is the stuff of Cold War cat and mouse legends, something that would be a thrilling plot device in any espionage novel of the 1950s. The Machine brothers were baptized in flames of post-World War II Europe. Some say they had the affliction of their father's revolutionary blood coursing through their veins. Others called the brothers freedom fighters for the oppressed. So Travis, when the Czechs look back at the Machine brothers, They are difficult to hold close to one's chest. Today, there are many that call the brothers stone-cold killers, while others mention their memory with reverence as honored resistance fighters. Maybe we can better understand them if we know more about their father. Yeah, that's right, Pete. The brothers' father, Josef Maschin, was a member of the Tri Kralove resistance in World War II, like basically the Three Kings resistance in World War II. Very famous resistance. Yeah, Josef Maschin was born at Loshani near Kolin, He was a member of the Czechoslovak legions fighting in Russia, you know, from six, from 1916 to 1921, and later an officer in the Czechoslovak army. Um, he's basically a commander of the of an artillery regiment. After the occupation of Czechoslovakia by Nazi Germany, together with Josef Balaban and Václav Moravec, formed a resistance group concentrated on intelligence gathering and sabotage. While more resistance groups existed, this one aptly named Tri Kralove, the Three Kings, is the most known among the Czech public. Machine was captured by the Gestapo on May 13th, 1941. <laughs> After being tortured, he twice attempted suicide. As part of the German reta retaliatory measures for his assassination of Reinhard Heydrich, he was executed in Prague. His body was disposed of at the Strażnice Crematorium. Even his wife was imprisoned for several months. After the war, Josef Maschin received a posthumous promotion to Brigadier General. His sons, which were at that time were only 13 and 15 years old, got medals for personal bravery during the war from President Edvard Benisch. So Travis, you can see this right now, that this was not the best situation to grow up uh, uh, as, as a young teenager, uh, to see your father uh, executed like this during, during the height of uh, Nazi occupation and basically uh, the imprisonment of their mother. The times really formed who they were as young men. As we see later on, uh, and as we know through history, yes, the Allies won World War II, 
But then as soon as that, uh, as soon as the, the transition left with the, the Nazis leaving uh, and being disbanded, then came in the communists. So you can see that there was uh, uh, very little time for the Ch uh, Czechoslovakia to kind of, kind of come into their own uh, as their own entity. They were taken over by another foreign power. Following World War II, Machin's sons were both born in Prague, of course, and attended high school in Podrady. Uh, after the communists seized power, they witnessed how some of their family's friends, opponents of the regime, were silenced and vanished without a trace, or were even sentenced to death in public show trials. The Machins shared the idea that the Americans, who had helped to establish the Czechoslovakian state, would soon come to, to the rescue and wipe out communists altogether with what many would call World War III. They saw a, a promise that possibly Western powers would come in to help them. But we all know through, through historical sort of information that was not going to be possible. We saw that in Budapest in the 50s. Yeah. Uh, we saw it throughout all the, uh, the uh, satellite uh, countries of the sphere of influence of Russia at the time of, of the Soviet Union that that was not going to be possible without forcing another war, another great war on people that just was not really uh, um, not possible. The Meshin brothers formed a military resistance group with a few, very few friends. Uh, the brothers' uncle, uh, Sidbor Novak, a former S Secret Service officer, officer, became an advisor of this group. Now, this is kind of important, Travis, if we look at this. Once uh, Mr. Novak was questioned about his involvement with training the brothers, Novak pleaded possible deniability by saying that he was only engaged with his nephews in the hopes of controlling their hot tempers and instructing them and kind of diffuse their escalating plans that they had. Of course, that really wasn't necessarily the truth because at the time, his defense strategy was that on trial in, in 1954 kind of showed him being more supportive and encouraging of the brothers' actions. The brothers and Novak were the only ones in the whole no-name group, quote-unquote, who knew all the other members by name. Okay. Yeah. Okay? So let's take a look at some of the actions that are attributed to the Machine brothers, Travis, that, that led up to their, their infamy. Yeah, so in 1951, the group raided two police stations in order to get weapons and ammunition. In both cases, one policeman was killed. In fact, one of them was previously chloroformed and handcuffed, so it's not like an accidental shooting. It was... On purpose. Kind of right. kind of some brutality there. And since it was becoming increasingly difficult to conduct actions, the brothers decided to go west. Their goal was to get some real training in partisan warfare techniques from the Americans. They believed a shooting war was imminent and that they wanted to return to Czechoslovakia in the vanguard of the liberating Western armies. A first escape attempt failed when a CIC agent who was supposed to accompany them was arrested by the Czechoslovak secret police, like they're known as the, they're basically the STB. So during interrogation, he named Stirad Mašin. Shortly thereafter, both brothers and Novak were arrested by the STB and were tortured. The STB never found out that they had seized the men responsible for the police station raids. So Josef Mašin and his uncle were released after a few months. Stirad Mašin was sentenced to two years slave labor for the crime of knowing about someone else's planned escape, but not reporting it. He was sent to work in a uranium mine near Yakimov. Which is not uncommon, Travis, that yeah. uh, political enemies of the state would be sent to uranium mines, which was pretty much a death sentence in many cases. Mashin states that his time in the Czechoslovak equivalent of the Gulag made him even more determined to fight the regime. So during Stirat Mashin's imprisonment, the others attacked a payroll transport and obtained some 846,000 Czechoslovak crowns. One of the car's occupants raised his pistol against Josef Mashin and was shot by him. After 
Stirad machines release, the group stole four chests totaling 100 kilograms of explosives from a quarry. They plan to blow up a uranium train with these explosives, which doesn't sound like a good idea, by the way. No, it doesn't. <laughs> um, or possibly um, even blow up President Gottwald's personal train. The last action before their escape was the Night of Great Fires. In several Moravian villages, Václav Šveda and Stirad Mašin placed incendiary composition with time fuses into straw stacks, timed to all light up in the middle of the night. The action was a protest against the socialist collectivization of agriculture. At that time, even straw was in short supply, so the Mašin's intention was not only spreading shock and awe, but really kind of hurt the economy of these agricultural collectives. A firefighter was gunned down, while one source states he died with one bullet in his eye and one in his lungs, most others mentions only three casualties in Czechoslovakia, which means he must have survived. Right. So you can, you can see at this point throughout uh, Moravia and, the Czech, and Czechoslovakia that this kind of uh, uh, swarm of terror sort of tactics were used. Now, of course, you know, one man's terrorist might be another man's freedom fighter, and that basically the Machine brothers were, were trying to cause, in this particular issue, some uh, disruption of the agricultural collectives that were not really taking such great root among people that considered personal property part of their deal and not part of the state. So there was a, a, lot, of, a lot of work in there for them to do to try to raise awareness that uh, they were against this, uh, this uh, collectivism that was going on by the socialist powers. In October 1953, the group made a second attempt to escape to the West. Radio Free Europe broadcast made it sound as if World War III was imminent and was coming down the pike. The Machine Brothers and their friends wanted to take part in this invasion, so they claimed that the police had still no leads on, on, on their actions. Therefore, the danger of being arrested was not a reason for their escape. On the night of the 3rd and the 4th of October, Zemniak Yatana and Václav Zveta uh, Milan Palmer, and so the Machine Brothers crossed the, the border into East Germany near the mountain of St. Catherine in order to get to the western part of Berlin. Now, Travis, you've been to Berlin. I've, I've briefly been to Berlin. Um, at the time... I've it, been to West Berlin. West Berlin. All I've right. been to East Berlin. And so you've seen both. Back when it was East Berlin. Now, the wall, is, there's only pieces of the wall there now today, but how the wall was set up, what it probably looked like towards the middle to end of the Cold War... This was not the case, Travis, of what it looked like in the early 1950s. Really a rudimentary sort of uh, debarkation and uh, still not really controlled that well because people were kind of going back and forth. But yeah. still, I'm sure, very dangerous. Yeah, I mean, like, like when they mentioned there's trams going back and forth, um, there were still people checking everybody on the tram. Like it was still a huge hassle. And, and, and this, this is pretty much what happened. You mentioned about checking, checking passports and identities. The border guards could not manage to check the identity of every passenger. So right. there was a chance for, you know, maybe four or five to reach their destination without being discovered, especially because their names and their activities were not yet known to the East German police. After three days of walking through the cold, they tried to hijack a car. This attempt failed, but now the police started searching for the five armed foreigners. So now they got an idea that they have five people in their party and they're going to keep an eye out for them. The fugitives made another mistake by taking a train which they thought would bring them closer to Berlin. But in fact, the train that they were on, they misunderstood an announcement that the train would go back to where they had started off from the very beginning. Oh, man. So they're on the wrong train, man. All right? So it's not going well. I, I, can, I can just see five checks sending around like, did they just say they're going to Berlin from Prague or from... Yeah. So like, trying to, how good trying is your to, German? Trying to interpret the German. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the next time they took a train ended in disaster. So it didn't get any better. The woman who sold the ticket informed the police about some suspicious foreigners, quote-unquote, 
At the next station, the police waited for the train and checked the passengers one by one, yeah. this time not fooling around. When challenged, the group started shooting, killing one policeman and injuring two others. All right. Shortly after the incident, Zvenek Yatana separated from the others and was caught. Only after interrogating him and consulting with the Czechoslovak authorities did the East German police know who they were actually dealing with. Now the biggest manhunt in all of the People's Police had started. After finding and losing the track of the refugees several times, more and more troops were ordered to support the manhunt. Only one predecessor of the East German army at the time, the so-called Barricaded People's Police. Those troops, uh, and eventually even the Soviet Red Army troops based in the GDR, were also asked to be an assistance mm -hmm. in this manhunt. So we can say it again, the hunt was on, Travis. Yeah, so eventually there were thousands of people involved in this manhunt for these four anti-communists. Right after their arrival in West Berlin, Western newspapers wrote of 20,000 Vopos. Uh, Vopos is short for Volkspolizei officer. Wolfgang Mittmann, who is a true crime author and former member of the Volkspolizei, states that according to the final report, there were really only 5,000 policemen involved in the manhunt, plus some troops of the secret police, plus troops of the Red Army. But uh, he claims, you know, 20,000 is probably over-exaggeration. So their, their whole number does not really appear in the police files. Three pursuers were shot by the group. At least three more bystanders died in friendly fire. At Waldo, about 100 kilometers from Berlin, the group was encircled. And this is where it gets kind of tricky. Uh, they waited for the night and then managed to run through the encirclement. The next day, Václav Sveta, hurt by a stray bullet, surrendered and was eventually found by the police. He was executed in Czechoslovakia in 1955. Several times the police were called because of rumors that someone had seen these Czechs. Many of the troops were inexperienced young men that who had just joined the armed forces only weeks or months beforehand. They did not get any official information about their officers and, and therefore rumors spread in which the Czechs were depicted as savages who had killed countless pursuers. So you can see that the, the spin machine was starting to work here to get the people galvanized against what many would feel are, you know, uh, revolutionaries. It's kind of like they got this Wild West reputation. It's like, you Very know, quickly, doesn't like, it? Oh man, it's like Billy the Kid. He shot a thousand people, <laughs> not including Mexicans. Yeah. Shot a man just for snoring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. basically it's got, so, I got the same yeah, feeling here like on that. this one. So therefore the troops, whenever assuming that the fugitives were around, shot at anything and everything that moved and afterwards wrote into the reports that they had fired at the Czechs uh, but had missed. Mm -hmm. um, as a result, one, one, one uh, can find a gun battle at places that the fugitives never were close to. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, their, their legend, their living legend was kind of uh, spreading throughout the countryside. Moreover, the Martians were, after arriving in the West, consciously changed some of their details to their story in order to protect people who had, who had yeah. protected them. Now, keep in mind, there was a ripple effect here. Anybody connected to the Machen brothers were either executed or, or sent away um, uh, for, for, for camps and uh, re-education camps and uranium mines. That's, yeah. that's unfortunate. Their lives yeah. were definitely changed. Uh, for instance, they claimed that they had crossed, with an auto, uh, crossed the Autobahn between Berlin and Dresden after the Waldo battle and found refuge with a family in uh, Schoenwald. Though later there, there were people in Schoenwald who remembered the Machan's visit, several researchers found out that they had never made it there. Right? So we're, we're kind of seeing a lot of misinformation here about what happened with them. So on November 2nd, 1953, the Machin brothers and Palmer reached their destination. Stirad Machin, under the floor of a, of a suburban train, Milan Palmer and Josef Machin somehow managed to cross the border on foot. The follow-up, or the after-effects, was, was basically back in Czechoslovakia, people who had any association with the Machins received pretty harsh treatment. 
So Václav Šveda, Zbigniew Janata, and Stibor Novak were sentenced to death and executed. Their bodies were not delivered to their families, but buried in anonymous common graves. Farewell letters to their families were found 45 years later, only after the Velvet Revolution. Other friends and, and relatives were sentenced to many years of, of imprisonment. The Mashin's mother, Stena Mashinova, who was not involved at all in the military resistance of her son, died in prison on June 12, 1956. So even the Mashin's little sister, her name also is Dena Mashinova, was jailed. Today she is still considered an icon for the Czech anti-communist movement. So she had nothing to do with this at all. No, it, yeah, it, the problem was wrong that last name. anybody that was connected to the Mission Brothers basically um, had their lives turned upside down, if not ended, very quickly by the, re by the communist regime. Uh, yeah. In East Germany, whose armed forces had been really humiliated during this whole uh, manhunt, were, uh, were brushed under the carpet. You really didn't talk about it that much more. In Czechoslovakia, communist propaganda made full use of the mission's actions, describing them as looters and brutal murderers of innocent passers-by. Their actions were used to justify tighter control over society and brutal treatment of any opponents. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would have to probably say at one point, you know, was this worth it? Uh, it, you know, we're talking about we have several more, you know, several more decades ahead of, ahead of the Czech people under communist rule. Did it make their lives any better? Most likely not. Uh, the brothers found their way to the United States and served, actually, believe this or not, in the United States Special uh, Armed Forces at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, for about five years apiece. Both brothers continued to live there and refused to enter Czech soil again unless they were fully re uh, rehabilitated. In 2001, Milan Palmer sold his uh, home in Florida and moved back to Podobrady, uh, where he had died in 2010. Stirad Mashin died in Cleveland, Ohio in 2011, and soon after, Yosef died uh, a few years later after that. You know, uh, trying going, going back to the Czech, Czech Republic at the time as a new republic, some considered, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, considered them freedom fighters and heroes, and other, others considered them cold-blooded killers. Yeah. So they were kind of, you know, several, three men caught between two worlds, one leg in and one leg out. Uh, that must have been, you know, very tough for them. So, in conclusion tonight, after the fall of communism in Czechoslovakia in 1989, the oppression and crimes of communist party were officially condemned, and those sentenced during the communist era for political crimes were generally recognized um, in law as innocent victims. The machines became the most disputed exceptions to this rule. Even 55, uh, 55 or close to 60 years later, after the case of the machines, uh, it's able to deeply divide the Czech public into two groups one seeing them as heroes and others abhorring their actions as brutal killers. Politicians in Czech Republic today still face an uneasy problem in trying to take a clear stand on the Machine Brothers, Travis. I see this a lot, like talking to Czechs or, or Germans or anybody, there's um, a lot of times no side is wrong. The problem is, did, do you believe the propaganda is fact? So like you were saying, like the East Germans played down the manhunt, like nothing happened or they... they uh, kind of exaggerated them as like these savages and you know killing innocents and looting and that kind of thing So a lot of people just that's what the news said. That's what they believed and The Re Re Velvet Revolution doesn't change that for them like they they say like no these guys are insane You know like criminally insane killers. They they they're horrible people Done that's they'll never change their mind and the other people kind of look at it and and they might go back and read about some of the stuff and they say well no, but the the facts were were wrong. There, there was a huge cover up. You know, there were there were shootouts in places that were never, um, that were they never were. Period. As we as we know um, for a fact, they weren't in some of these yeah, places. Yeah. So right? only three people died, and 
Uh, I mean, one of the one policeman that was, you know, chloroformed and handcuffed, that's not right. But, you know, overall, all three people died and um, they, they made a pretty clean getaway and made a fool out of the East Germans. And, and if you look at it, you know, all the deaths attributed to them weren't them, if anybody even died at all. So if you go back, I mean, again, like, so someone that re looks at the facts and say, wait, the propaganda wasn't real and I have a better picture of it. And hey, these guys were fighting against communism and, you know, everybody around them suffered. Are they heroes? I don't know. But, but I've, I've seen that quite a bit that the people that really are on the other side will say, well, it's just the people that listen to the radio and never heard anything else. So they just kind of listen to propaganda. You know, if, if you take if you take these men that at the time were young teenagers during World War II and you, and you plop them down in, in uh, occupied France, they definitely would be the French underground uh, heroes. Yeah. You know, at the time. Yeah. Um, if you if you take them into uh, the as we approach the the first two decades of of the twenty first century, you would probably consider them uh, terrorists. Uh, you know, it, yeah. You know, so it, it's contextually trying to place the Machine Brothers into, into a category is going to be very, very difficult, even during the time of, of communism. Uh, and I think we've kind of given a little bit of information on both sides of the argument well, tonight. But, but it's funny, right? Because their father was involved in Heydrich's killing. So that was clearly a good thing, and, and he was honored for that. In fact, the children were honored for their father's deeds. But two whole villages were wiped off the face of the earth because of, of Heydrich's death. So... If you look at the consequences, like, well, I mean, in my mind, that was clearly a great thing. That guy needed to be put down. He was like one of the most evil people that ever walked the earth, more worse than Hitler and Himmler. Absolutely, had to happen. But still, if you look at the consequences, well, yeah. And so you look at these guys and you say, well, okay, they were fighting communism. That's clearly a good thing. Yeah, but a lot of innocent people got hurt in the process. Uh, what their father did uh, in World War II versus what these guys did uh, during the, the beginning of the Cold War I would also have to say that, you know, yes, probably more people died but what, uh, as a result of what uh, Michelin Senior did during yeah. World War II. Um, but I would say that was... Completely, completely, but, but, you know, but that it, had to happen. It I mean, had it to happen. Completely justified. But at, like, the time, was... at the time, the rest of the world caught notice of, of Lidica yeah. uh, and uh, that empowered people to kind of move harder with the war effort. Unfortunately, you know, uh, for the Michelin brothers in the 1950s, their exploits were were somewhat quieter uh, into the West. Uh, they didn't get the same headlines. And, and yeah, they they were working under the same pretext that there would be an invasion any minute. Right. You know, so which it was didn't like, happen. It's like okay, we're gonna something's gonna hit the fan, but any minute now the Americans are gonna come marching in. So we want to be on the other side of the front. You know, and it never happened. So. Uh, their mother and sister rotted in prison. They did, of course, we talk about going back to, they went to the United States um, and lived out their lives here, but they must have felt at some point uh, a disconnect with their homeland, their home country of, of the Czech Republic in the late 20th and, and early 21st century before they passed away. Moving from it must Florida? Have been, it must have been a very sad situation from for them. From Florida to Potibradi? Yeah. Yeah, so ab absolutely. Well, we want to thank you tonight for listening to this edition of the Bohemian Podcast. Feel free to stop by bohemican.com for further information and all things Czech from an American expat perspective, of course. For Travis Dow, I'm Pete Coleman. Good night from Prague. You have been listening to the Bohemican Podcast with Pete Coleman and Travis Dow. Visit bohemican.com for more information on this episode, other episodes, and much more information about history, traditions, and culture in the Czech Republic. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, and review, and don't forget to rate us. 
We would love to hear from you. Send comments, ideas and corrections on our comments page on bohemican.com or get in touch via Facebook or Twitter. Tune in to our sister podcast, History of Alchemy, which is also on iTunes or on historyofalchemy.com. Until next time on the Bohemican Podcast, thank you for listening.